don't make work with the express thought of selling it. Make something because something deep down tells you to make it and then worry about the rest later. One of the hardest things about being an artist beyond the actual making of the art is deciding how to value the work that we make. And for many of us, and I'm putting myself squarely in the middle on this, the art I make is very personal, even though visually it may not seem like it. And if I'm being honest, it's not just the art, but also the graphic design, the podcasts, the books, basically anything that I'm applying any sort of purposeful effort into is personal. And isn't that the way it should be? I know this might be a corny reference, but saying this reminds me of a movie with Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan called You've Got Mail. Meg plays Kathleen, the owner of this little bookshop in New York, and Tom plays Joe Fox, the owner of a big box book chain like a Barnes & Noble that ends up forcing Kathleen to close her shop, which coincidentally belonged to her mother. Anyway, at one point in the movie, they're talking and Joe apologizes to Kathleen for driving her out of business, saying that it wasn't personal. And Kathleen says, what is that even supposed to mean? All it means is that it wasn't personal to you, but it was personal to me. And what's wrong with being personal? Whatever else anything is, it ought to begin by being personal. And that's pretty much how I feel about the things that I make. The things I make are personal. They're not just products. And all of this is part of a recent conversation with John Wilkening that began with a deceptively simple question. Where's your painting at right now? Uh, painting is, is pretty well. I ended, I ended last year with about 70 pieces. How does that feel? Great. Yeah, great. <laughs> I mean, you know, now the, the, the question is, you know, okay, what do we do with them? Um, because they're, they're just shelved in basement storage at the moment. Um, you know, and it's, it's allowed me to think about it differently. How so? Well, in it, you know historically that I've had a hard time valuing my own work, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I think a lot of what's the word we want to use? Creators, makers, artists. What what's the what's the shorthand? I think I think art. Let's use artists, but it's probably creative. Will probably be more accurate. Fair enough. Whatever the term, the artist or creative, if, if you're putting something out into the world that you want to monetize, often the monetization is more difficult than making the work. Correct. And not just the, not the, not just the procedural part of the monetization of, uh, in terms of, you know, how do I get it out in front of people? How do I get it out in front of a lot of people? Uh, do I show this physically in, uh, well you can't now because of lockdown all over the world but let, let's say that lockdown was 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 not in play at the moment there are those decisions of how do i display this work if it's visual art we're talking about how do i display this work out in the world versus 
on my website? Do I use social media? How do I use social media? Because I, I am the first to admit that I don't use social media, quote unquote, correctly to, to appease the algorithm. I don't post multiple times a day or most of the time, even multiple times a week. So my, my pro, the promotion of whatever I do is virtually non-existent. It will go out to my people, my group, my audience, followers, whatever. But it'll only go out to, you know, 2% of them, 3% of them. And that's pretty much where it stays because I don't hammer social media. I'm not self-promoting all the time of, oh, multiple instances of, oh, go look at this. Or I recorded that even with the podcasts, I recorded this, go listen. I typically do one promo and that's it. So I reap what I sow. I reap the benefit based on the amount of effort that I put into it. And that's, that sits aside from or on top of, do I want to monetize anything that I do? And if, if you are saying, if you're nodding your head out there saying, yeah, I want to monetize, well, how do you deal with price? What's fair? As somebody who doesn't have a huge presence in the art world, how do you price your work? You know, you can't price the originals at $5,000 a piece because nobody's going to buy them. Nobody knows who I am in that world, and, and they aren't going to spend that kind of money. Well, if you sell them for 500 is that better? And then if you sell the original for 500 then where are you at with prints? You can't sell a $300 print of a $500 original. That's, that's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm left with all of these questions around value. One of the things that has kept coming up for me over the past several years, and, and you and I have talked about this a little bit, is this idea of of arts education and nonprofits. I mean, that's how I'm, that's why I met Adrian. It's not how I met her. Well, actually, I guess it is how I met her because I, I asked Bill if he knew anybody in nonprofit. So that's something that's always been in the back of my head or for years has been in the back of my head is how, how can I do something in that space? And when Adrian and I talked about maybe donating, at, at first it was like, I'm going to give away all that I make from my paintings and the book and the any podcast room, I'm going to give it all away. And she said, well, wait a minute. That still doesn't get to the core of what bothers you about it because the value is for someone else. So you get to still be out of that loop and not have to deal with your issues around value and worth. Mm -hmm. So I think it was Sean. We were talking about it one day and he's like, why don't you do 50%? 50% is still massively generous. But then you have to deal with the value of it. You have, to, you have to decide, what is this worth to me in addition to how much do I want to put back into, you know, something else? And I thought that was kind of an interesting way to look at it because he's right. And, and Adrian and I talked about it and she explained the sort of the psychology around that and, and why she thought it was a good idea too. So I think that's what we're going to try is 50% of whatever you know, whatever I make from creative endeavors will get donated back into, you know, arts or arts education or nonprofits around the arts or something. And then that could be, you know, the, the Aperture Foundation. It could be the Gordon Parks Foundation, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Um, does that sort of arrangement for you mentally make the, 
the proposition of selling your artwork easier or harder? I think it makes it easier. And again, this is all in the abstract. We haven't put this into play yet, but I, th- I think it makes it easier because it's, it's no longer just about me. And f- for whatever reason, Adrian would tell you that I still have some unresolved guilt around being paid for what I do creatively. And I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's guilt. I mean, it might be, but I, there, there are some issues that I have around being paid for the, the creative work that I do. And I've always undercharged. I've always, you know, if, if I said it was going to take, you know, 20 hours and that's what I build you for, even doing design work, I would put 50 or 60 into it, but not charge you for those extra 40 hours or 30 hours or whatever it was. Because I, I, I oh, I've charged you enough. That's, that's enough. Yeah. It it almost sounds and this is a very simplistic way of putting it, but by removing half of you out of the financial equation, you're making it fifty percent easier. You know, like (laughs) (laughs) whatever it takes, right? I mean, you know, if if that's if that's the if that's the cost of doing business or the cost of making art is to, you know, remove myself a little bit from it so that I can wrap my head around it more fully. Okay, and it helps more people in the process. It doesn't just go to me. I mean, we are incredibly lucky. I am grateful for how fortunate we are every day. And that adds to it, right? It's like, well, I have enough. Why do I need more? I don't, I've never had that attitude of, I need to have all the money. It's never been really what drives me. No, I, I, yeah, obviously it's, it's not something that drives you, but I think even though it doesn't drive you, it's important, Mm -hmm. you know, because I could I could tell if you want to say given the if you want to say your childhood and sort of where creative outlets were valued that it would seem making a living from that in essence it almost seems like the, that is the how to put this the the validate the key to validation of your choices the money part Correct. Yeah. I mean, that's, and that's the climate that, that I grew up in, you know, both sort of socially and, you know, personally on, at least on my dad's side, mm-hmm. my dad's measure of value as a person was directly tied to stuff, money, mm-hmm. houses, cars, bank accounts, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Why do you think there's such a when I when I look at the uh, sort of the art world in general, the thing that I'll, you know, and we've I think we've talked about this. The one thing that kind of always bugged me was that people were wildly creative in sort of the creation of their art and rather boring in the commercial side of their art. In terms of like promotion and and the Anything. The, the business side yeah. type thing. Yeah, yeah, because it, it's it, it's one of those where you're like, oh you looked at this is how you're supposed to a paint, write, create music. And you go, I'm going to do it my own way. 
but that when it comes to like the commercial side, you're like, there is only one way to right, do it. Right, right, right. Well, see, and that's that's one of the things that I've always ad- admired since since I've known you. I've admired about you is your willingness to try different models of selling your work, whether that's, okay, if you get it, you know, if you get the first print, it's going to be five bucks and then it's going to go up to 10 and then 20. Like there's that, there was that sliding scale. Then there was a a scale kind of based on time and your, your willingness to kind of push and pull at those norms to, to see what would work for you or, or how it would be different, even if it didn't work, just to take note of what was different about it has something has been something that I've really admired. I'm kind of dumbfounded at, as to how to approach it or how I how I would implement it, mm-hmm. uh, because again, like like you just said, that's not what you're taught. You're taught like you can do whatever you want in the studio, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. when it comes to you know, getting it out in the world, there are rules. And again, like, like the rule of thirds, right? It's, they're not rules. You can obviously make pictures that aren't following those rules. So why, why do we find it so difficult to break outside of those rules when it comes to monetizing being, and you know what, it's, it's not even monetizing. It's being fairly compensated for the work that we put in, because it is work, the work that we put into making, you know, art for lack of Mm -hmm. a better word. Yeah. It's because I think the biggest thing is I've always separated the creation of the art from the selling of art, the creation of the art and the selling of the art to me are two very different things. I have been sort of very, very opinionated and set in my ways in terms of how I want to do things because it's my process and to create the art. Like the the creation of how I create things and what I create. In, in essence, I'm creating it for myself. Mm-hmm. Like, what is the what is the curiosity I'm chasing? What is that thing I'm looking for? What is the ideas I'm playing with? Though it's so much easier from the creation standpoint to go, let, let me look internal. And if you want to say, create the art for that internal person that I can understand, because it's so hard for me to read. It's so hard for anyone to read outside individuals when mm-hmm. it comes to creation of art. Right. And, but then when it comes to this, like I own that process, but the selling of art has to include other people. Right. But it's very nature. Like it, so, in that, in essence, I have to respond, if you want to say, to the market, aka other people. And if I'm 
if I have to respond to other people, then I can't just do it. Like it, no, it it can't just be an internal process. Mm-hmm. So I have to, in in essence, put ideas, put different methods in front of people and see how they react. Or if you go the traditional route and get zero response, complaining about the traditional route isn't the response to that. It isn't the like solution to that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's for whatever reason, the mar- the other people aren't responding to that work. So I've always, in essence, separated those creation and then the selling into two distinct camps. That way, it's also helped me because I, now the, val- like, if I have photographs that I love that people hate and uh, vice versa. Right. You know, but and that's perfectly fine because, you know, the are if you want to say goals or s the modes are two distinct things. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that there isn't a complete crossover. Why are we so reluctant to try something new in terms of, of sales or sustainability kind of models, it, especially if the traditional models don't seem to work. I think it comes down to sort of, uh, comes down to a couple of things. There's a sort of constant sort of theme that art and business are separate entities. When, to me, they're just different expressions of similar creativity. Hmm. Classic example, Steve Jobs. Yep. There's a reason why Apple is different than Microsoft. It's so clear that everyone looks at that example and goes, oh, okay, yeah. But, you know, this it's the same way, you know, if you want to say the classic quote-unquote nerds, are are pre, are sort of taught that they're not artistic, but some of them more like you talk to any mathematician, they talk about math being beautiful and like right. the language that they use is very artistic. Right. They're just pl- their their canvas is numbers and ideas as opposed to pixels or pastels. Right. 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 So it becomes this thing where artists for just have this very, you want to say sort of gut reaction of business just being this dirty foreign thing that they would prefer not to get their boots dirty in. I wonder if there's some spite in there somewhere and whether it's conscious or subconscious about I'm not going to be a part of that world. I'm an artist. I'm a maker. I'm a creator. I'm a, whatever. And because they're seen as two separate worlds, I'm going to actively resist aligning myself, associating myself with that world, that business Mm -hmm. world. Do you think there's some of that? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, Just think of uh, who's that? um, He, is it Peter Lick? The photographer that making millions of dollars in like, selling like hdr oh right right canyon pictures and yeah 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 yeah. 
just look at how artists talk about him. Mm-hmm. I've put him down in the past. Yeah. We've all looked at it and basically trashed him. Right. And it's one of those things where you can you can make a strong case that he's, if you want to say from a spectrum of talents, he's less artist and more business person. Mm-hmm. But is it necessarily the end of the world that he sold an HDR photo of a canyon to some rich guy for millions of dollars? Right, right. It like, yeah. What's what's it, what's the goal? What are you trying to do? Yeah. Yeah, like it's, interesting. You know, I think there's there's a lot of how we position ourselves mentally or like self-identify as that sort of forces a level of our own self-opinion of ourselves creates ripples that are affect our like output would be the wrong way to put it, but like our manifestation in the world. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, to your point about sort of my approach to selling my art, I think some of that comes from the fact that I probably more closely have more closely associated myself to a business person than an artist just from like, like I didn't grow up like being being a artsy kid, mm-hmm. you know, I was too poor poor for that. Right. Um, <laughs> hey, art supplies are expensive, man. No getting around it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so so in in essence, I didn't have the normal mental baggage that comes with that. Hmm. It. it and like this is this is just me talking my thoughts out so <laughs> no i i i can uh, see it i mean like th- there is a fluidity in the way you are able to kind of dovetail what you make with with or how you make and how you distribute there's 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 this fascinating and it's not because you don't care you you do care very deeply but there's a willingness to to be very honest and go well this this isn't working what if i tried this because it's already not working so if this new thing doesn't work i'm no worse off exactly that is the linchpin of my entire sort of business expression of my art mhm is that this when something's not working you basically have two options you could do more of the same or something different. Mm-hmm. And by more of the same, that's not necessarily like you could just do it harder, longer. Like there's that is an, a, if you want to say a valid response and sometimes can be very successful. But for me, especially in my position at that time, just needing money with a kid doing more of it was never like that wasn't an answer right time wasn't on my side i think one of your superpowers is 
the ability to not succumb to the idea that just because something doesn't sell, that's not a barometer of how good it is. Mm, yeah. And I, I have a tough time with that one, if I'm being honest. I have a really tough time with it. If it was good, people would buy it. That's what, that's what you're taught, right? I mean, we, we hear all these platitudes. The industry makes room for a star. You know, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life. Well, yes, you will. You will work. <laughs> yeah. Creating yeah. is work. Making things is work. And we have this tendency, at least I do. I'll speak for myself. I won't speak for anyone else. But I have this tendency because I take the work that I do very personally and I feel that I put a lot of me into that work, if it doesn't sell, that means you don't like it. And by the transitive property that my <laughs> wife loves so much, you don't like me. Yeah. Which, when I hear myself say it out loud, sounds really stupid. It sounds completely bonkers that because <laughs> this painting, let's say, doesn't match your wallpaper or end tables. And that's a perfectly valid reason to buy a piece of art. I know a lot of people that buy art to fit a room, not because they necessarily love the piece. I mean, they, they have to like the piece, yes, but they buy it because it fits in a place, right? Yeah. But I somehow internalize that and go, <gasps> they hate me. They fucking hate me. <laughs> I got to change what I'm doing so that they like me, so that they like the work. Because obviously it's, obviously it's me. It's not them. It's me, right? But you, you, as long as I've known you and we're coming up on, gosh, a lot of years now, uh, you have never succumbed to that. You have never, in my experience at least, and maybe you have internally, but you've never communicated that with me, that if some endeavor doesn't go the way you want it to, that that's a reflection, a direct reflection on the quality of the idea that that endeavor is based on. It's something that I like. Sometimes I struggle with trying to articulate that notion because that's so ingrained in my thinking. Mm -hmm. Like That's one of those things that I feel so deeply that it's hard to separate me from the idea of it. Mm -hmm. But to me things I do are just ideas that I throw out in the world. I don't associate the value of myself with those success or failures of those ideas. Mm -hmm. Did you ever? Uh, eh, probably. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, I grew I was very, if you want to say an awkward, weird kid growing mm -hmm. up. You know, I didn't live in the United States till I was 12. You know, I was homeschooled. Like I, you know, when people, I still haven't seen the Terminator. Like just weird stuff just because of how I grew, grew up that just never, you know, I sort of, I just never had the same experiences as people. Mm -hmm. And so... There, there was a time on a personal level where I raged against that sort of trying to be more normal. Right. And the problem was 
that I was so not normal that it was there's no way to get me to normal. Sort of that. Like, right. Those patterns have yeah. already been sort of yeah, yeah. formed. Yeah. Like I could become a, a more normal, odd version of myself, but like, <laughs> you, you know, like I'm not. I'd pay to see that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so then, so there was a mo not a moment, but there's a sort of, I hit sort of hit a point where the things that made me weird also made me interesting. Mm -hmm. And that's once I just sort of accepted that the things I did lost that sort of personal blowback on myself to question myself. I don't know if that made sense at all. Let me, let me sort of put this caveat when my business ideas haven't worked, I do feel them like, so I'm not, I don't want to, paint it as like I'm the stoic master that you know. <laughs> oh, you know, come like, on. You kind of are. <laughs> no. No, I'm I'm not Oogway talking about <laughs> <laughs> sitting on the mountain with a, under a cherry tree. Right. You know, I'm way more the fat panda right. than Oogway. But if you just accept that if you view what you do as experiments the value of experiment is the feedback. And often with experiments, it's better if they don't work. Mm -hmm. Because then you you learn and you take information. Right. And it's fun. Like, so everything I've done, if I did the same thing and changed how long I'd been in the industry or maybe my social media following or like change the different factors that I didn't have in control. I could totally see them being successful. Mm -hmm. There's so many factors that are outside of your control that you kind of have to just, just put it out in the world and see where it lands and make the best decision you can and just keep on going. Right. And I know that sounds trite. <laughs> I know that sounds trite. <laughs> yes, but that doesn't make it any less valid. Mm, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, I, 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 a little while ago, I did the, the live shows on YouTube and I waffled with doing it because I could feel myself putting expectations on it. I could feel myself going, well, if it doesn't turn out like this, then it's a failure. So I kind of took your advice and just approached it like an experiment. This is, we're going to see what happens with this. I'm going to take what I can from it. I'm going to learn from it. I'm going to make notes about it and, and kind of see where it succeeds and where it doesn't. And succeeds in quotes here because the success is based solely on my expectation. Mm -hmm. And from that, you know, did it have thousands of listeners? No. Did it have a small group of engaged listeners? Yes. Were there some interesting conversations, spontaneous conversations, real-time conversations that happened because of it? Yes. Did I connect with people that I maybe wouldn't have connected with otherwise? Yes. So, from a traditional metric, it didn't do so well, but from the metric that I use to kind of gauge what I do, 
in terms of of podcasting and conversations, it was successful. Mm -hmm. It didn't quite land where I wanted it or where I expected it to rather, but it was still valuable. And I'm, I'm able to pull from that sort of data points that will be used on the next model, you know, data points that'll be used to inform the next thing, whatever that thing is. Yeah. But I find that much harder to do in my art. Yeah. Which to be honest, I've always, uh, it's been, it's one of those things where I'm always like, because when I look at your art, I, I see so much like creativity and there's a, I know there, I know you're far more calculated in what you do, but there's your art kind of has this beautiful chaos <laughs> and what, in, in what feels like more random. Right. You know, like, you know, I, like I said, I, I know how your decision making works. So, you know, I've seen a little behind the curtain, but right. like, that's, that's what Come on, you've seen more than feels. a little. <laughs> uh, uh, so to me, it's, it's, you know, it's one of those where it's like, okay, take that same energy and just, and try some things. Right. And, and that's, that's the point that needs to change is, you know, I don't promote that stuff. I've, I, I mean, I promote it a little bit when I'm doing it. I'll put one or two things up on Instagram or a handful of things, but I'm not actively claiming, here's what I am. Here's, here's what I do. These are mine. You need to see them. They're really good. I'm proud of, like, I'm not doing that. And that has been something that I, and it's not a resolution. I don't want to position it like that. <laughs> But I do want to be more proactive. I want to be as proactive about sharing and promoting as I ended the year with by making. Mm-hmm. I mean, if if I can if I can channel the the, uh, the same or or a similar amount of energy into self promotion and owning that that I did in the making of it. I think there will be different results. I know there will be different results. They may not be the expected results again, but they will be different. And that's important. Yeah. I, I think that there's also an idea within there that I, I, I stole from uh, Gary V. Um, he was talking about something and he said he was basically rattling off all his sort of like major failings. Hmm. And I mean, like he talks about it. He had the chance to invest early in Uber three or four times and turned it down. Really? Wow. Which, which would have generational wealth. It's stuff like that. And he, he, he's sharing these things and he goes, the thing you have to remember is those losses are my own. I don't care what anyone else thinks about them. Hmm. And that notion has sort of stuck with me. Anytime you try to sell artwork, that is a public endeavor. You can't quietly sell art or sell anything. You can't secretly be like, hey, buy my painting. You know, like, you know, like. I've been trying for years. (laughs) It doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it has to be a public display of some sort. 
And so when no one buys it, all you think is everyone's looking at you going, you know, no one's bought that piece. Who do they think they are to charge X number of for mm-hmm. that piece? Blah, blah, you know, like fill in the blank. And the truth is no one cares. Right. That's the sad part for people is that we make up these very public things. At one time when I was doing the 365 day project and photograph number one on day one was a dollar and photograph number 365 was $365. And they obviously incrementally go up each day. Right. That's a very public thing. And there's a very, there was a very distinct point where you could see the selling starting to slow down to where the point where no one's buying the pieces and they're just going up there every day and every day they're going up at price and no one's buying them. And so like at that point, you know, I have a decision. Do I keep on doing the project or I stop? But like to me, doing the project, like I said to do, gonna do the project, and I'm gonna do the project regardless right. of whether people are buy it or not. And well, and, and nobody's emailing their friend going, "Hey, did you see John's website? Nobody's <laughs> buying his stuff." <laughs> yeah. yeah, that yeah, you see no, that picture? Absolutely. It's been up there for six weeks. Nobody bought it. Yeah. Nobody's doing that. But we but we want to convince ourselves that that's that's the narrative, right? That that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. Did you see how bad that picture on day 42 was? Horrible, right? No wonder nobody's buying it. Yeah. And like the crazy part is that I produce some, like some of the work on the back end of that project is some of my favorite. Hmm. But that project forced me to create work and I'm very happy to have all of that, even though quote unquote, it was a failure. Right. It was a, it may have been a material failure, but it wasn't an artistic failure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like, here's the, here's the thing you get, you get yourself a Canon printer, print, learn how to print your work off. You could do it fairly cheap. Mm-hmm. Did I lose money on that project? Probably. Right. But some of those pieces in that work, I'm extremely proud of, and they're hanging on people's walls because I did that. Right. And no quote-unquote failure is ever going to take that away from me. Right. Because it didn't hit some arbitrary point. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that, but again, that's a hard one. That, That can be a hard one to get around. That can be a hard one to reconcile. I'm I'm cautiously optimistic about the selling of my own work this year. But I'm still also riding the wave of inspiration and and energy from making the work in the first place and I think that if I can stay on that side of it it will keep me from getting too far into the weeds on the other side. I yeah, I can see that. You know, sort of caveat to this whole conversation. I I think I've talked on 
multiple times about this to you, but the sort of the notion of creating and editing are two different spaces in your head. Mm-hmm. You know, treat creating and selling in the same way. Use the energy from one to drive the other. Because there are very few people in this world that get excited about editing. <laughs> like, <laughs> you like, you know, it's that's the tedious part in the process. Mm-hmm. Artists after a certain level can create art. You certain hit a certain skill level and you could do it. I mean, there's questions of how good you could do it. You know, we we've definitely gotten in the weeds on that right at times. But I think the bigger separation comes on the like editing side of things. Not from like a how much clarity slider to use, but right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All of it is the answer. The whole clarity slider. Uh, yeah, it's a full send on the clarity yeah. slider. <laughs> <laughs> all of it counts and it all i think it's it's all related but i i where i have been sometimes too quick is in letting the perceived failure of one thing or one aspect of of the work dictate the amount of energy or inspiration i bring to the other part and i think to your point just like you know, the writing and the editing, you, 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 you write, you get all the ideas down on paper in, in one session, and then you go back and correct flow and grammar and editing and spelling and all that kind of thing. And I think that your point about, about don't, don't think about the, the business side, the sales side, the monetization side, when you're making the work, just make the work and then worry about that stuff. That's another session. Yeah. 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 Don't, don't make work with the express thought of selling it. Mm. don't don't make it going i could sell this print don't do that make the thing because it stirs that thing in you to make it then come back and go okay do i want to sell this yes okay how do i want to sell this do i do i want to you know put it in a big gallery and Try selling it that way. Do I want to sell little prints of it? Like, do we want to put it in a book? But make something because something deep down tells you to make it. And then worry about the rest later. Can you relate to any of what John and I talked about in this episode? If so, what are some of the things you've done to help you work through it? Are there other things around value and worth that we didn't discuss that you wish we had talked about? I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Jeffrey Sadoris. That's J-E-F-F-E-R-Y-S-A-D-D-O-R-I-S. Or you can email me at talkback at jeffreysadoris.com. You can find John on Twitter and Instagram at John Wilkening. That's J-O-N-W-I-L-K-E-N-I-N-G or on his website at johnwilkening.com. Subscribe to Jeffrey Sidoris Everything in your favorite podcast app to get all the shows that I produce in a single feed. As I've said before, subscribe to everything so you don't miss anything. You can also support the shows by telling a friend, leaving a review or a rating wherever you listen, or by sharing them on social media. 
I'll be back in a week or so with another episode, and I hope you'll join me. Until then, as always, thank you for being here. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your attention. And I'll talk to you on the next one.